You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to Oleander Book Club. As we sang last time, we threw away the old tape. Why? Because it sounded awful. And it was all warped and it's never coming back. We threw it away. So, this week, more ghost stories, most, more, more spooky stuff. And uh, we've got Gods of the North by Howard and uh, something I think that has something to do with a haunted house. I can just see the file right now. It just says H-A-U. So your guess is as good as mine. All right. So two spooky stories and no spooky music. Here we go. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Why don't you check out my other podcast, Johnny Smooth Skin, The Ballad of, if you like Fallout, uh, the video game, and uh, soon-to-be Amazon television show uh, based off of uh, Fallout lore, kind of a weird, I don't know, fan show, kind of like a documentary kind of thing, kind of like a... This is a war that happened 50 years ago, and this is what, you know, anyway, kind of thing, but about a fake video game war. Anyway. Uh, also, Articulate Warbling, I produce that, so I don't edit it, I don't produce the content, I just slap it up onto the internet for Zach and Laura. You can always check that one out. Uh, but hey, why don't you check out these stories? And thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you subscribe. Check us out at pgttcm.com slash store or shop or whatever. Go to pgttcm.com and just look for something that looks like a store if you want to help support us. And uh, we don't have a Patreon going, but I think we're going to get a Patreon going up again uh, for Radio Free Oleander. I had one for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, but... I just never did anything with it. All right. Well, hey, you. You've listened to me ramble enough. You you deserve some ghost stories. So let's get going with the spookiness. I hope you're enjoying your October. October and Oleander is really boring. I don't know what to say, but here we go. Thank you again. Rate, review, subscribe. I already said that part. You don't need to hear me say that. Ooh. Spooky. Gods of the North by Robert E. Howard The clangor of the swords had died away. The shouting of the slaughter was hushed. Silence lay on the red-stained snow. The bleak, pale sun that glittered so blindly from the ice fields and the snow-covered plains struck sheens of silver from rent corslets and broken blades where the dead lay as they had fallen. The nerveless hand yet gripped the broken hilt, the helmeted heads back drawn in the throes of death, tilted red beards and golden beards grimly upward, as if in last invocation to Ymir, the frost god, god of a warrior race. Across the red drifts and the mail-clad forms, two figures glared at each other. In that utter desolation, only they moved. The frosty sky was over them, the white, illimitable plain around them, the dead men at their feet. 
slowly through the corpses they came, as ghosts might come to a tryst through the shambles of a dead world. In the brooding silence they stood face to face. Both were tall men, built like tigers. Their shields were gone, their corslets battered and dented, blood dried on their mail, their swords were stained red. Their horned helmets showed marks of fierce strokes. One was beardless and black-maned. The locks and the beard of the other were red as the blood on the sunlit snow. Man, he said, tell me your name, so that my brothers in Vanaheim may know who was the last of Wolfhere's band to fall before the sword of Himdal. Not in Vanaheim, growled the black-haired warrior, but in Valhalla you will tell your brothers that you met Conan of Samaria. Himdal roared and leapt. His sword flashed in a deathly arc. Conan staggered, and his vision was filled with red sparks as the singing blade crashed on his helmet, shivering into bits of blue fire. But as he reeled, he thrust with all of the power of his broad shoulders behind the humming blade. The sharp point tore through brass scales and bone and heart, and the red-haired warrior died at Conan's feet. The Sumerian stood upright, trailing his sword, a sudden sick weariness assailing him. The glare of the sun on the snow cut his eyes like a knife, and the sky seemed shrunken and strangely apart. He turned away from the trampled expanse where yellow-bearded warriors lay locked with red-haired slayers in the death embrace. A few steps he took, and the glare of the snowfields was suddenly dimmed. A rushing wave of blindness engulfed him, and he sank down into the snow, supporting himself on one mailed arm, seeking to shake the blindness out of his eyes as a lion might shake his mane. A silvery laugh cut through his dizziness, and his sight cleared slowly. He looked up. There was a strangeness about all the landscape that he could not place or define, and an unfamiliar tinge to the earth and sky. But he did not think long of this. Before him, swaying like a sapling in the wind, stood a woman. Her body was ivory to his dazed gaze, and save for a light veil of gossamer, she was naked as the day. Her slender bare feet were whiter than the snow they spurned. She laughed down at the bewildered warrior. Her laughter was sweeter than the rippling of silver fountains and poisonous with cruel mockery. "'Who are you?' asked the Sumerian. "'Whence come you?' "'What matter?' Her voice was more musical than a silver-stringed harp, but it was edged with cruelty. "'Call up your men,' said he, grasping his sword. "'Yet though my strength fail me, they shall not take me alive.' I see that you are of veneer. Have I said so? His gaze went again to her unruly locks, which at first glance he thought to be red. Now he saw that they were neither red nor yellow, but a glorious compound of both colors. He gazed spellbound. Her hair was like elfin gold. The sun struck it so dazzlingly that he could scarcely bear to look upon it. Her eyes were likewise neither wholly blue nor wholly gray, but of shifting colors and dancing lights, and clouds of colors he could not define. Her full red lips smiled, and from her slender feet to the blinding crown of her billowy hair, her ivory body was as perfect as the dream of a god. Conan's pulse hammered in his temples. "'I cannot tell,' he said, "'whether you are Vanaheim or mine enemy, or Asgard,' 
and my friend. Far I have wandered, but a woman like you I have never seen. Your locks blind me with their brightness. Never have I seen such hair, not even among the fairest daughters of Esar. But Yamir? Who are you to swear by Yamir? she mocked. What know you of the gods of ice and snow? You have come up from the south to adventure among an alien people. By the dark gods of my race, he cried in anger, though I am not the golden haired Asir, none has been more forward in sword play. This day I have seen four score men fall, and I alone have survived the field where Wolf's Hear's reavers met the wolves of Braji. Tell me, woman, have you seen the flash of mail out across the snow plains, or seen armed men moving upon the ice? I have seen the hoarfrost glittering in the sun, she answered. I have seen the wind whispering across the everlasting snows. He shook his head with a sigh. Niord should have come up with us before that battle joined. I fear he and his fighting men have been ambushed. Wolf here and his warriors lie dead. I had thought there was no village within many leagues of this spot, for the war carried us far. But you cannot have come a great distance over these snows, naked as you are. Lead me to your tribe, if you are of Asgard, for I am faint with blows and the weariness of strife. My village is further than you can walk, Conan of Samaria, she laughed. Spreading her arms wide, she swayed before him, her golden head lolling sensuously, her scintillant eyes half-shadowed beneath their long silken lashes. Am I not beautiful, O oh man? Like dawn running naked on the snows, he muttered, his eyes burning like those of a wolf. Then why do you not rise and follow me? Who is the strong warrior who falls down before me? She chanted in maddening mockery. Lie down and die in the snow with the other fools, Conan of the black hair. You cannot follow where I lead. With an oath, the Sumerian heaved himself up on his feet, his blue eyes blazing, his dark, scarred face contorted. Rage shook his soul, but desire for the taunting figure before him hammered at his temples and drove his wild blood fiercely through his veins. Passion fierce as physical agony flooded his whole being, so that earth and sky swam red in his dizzy gaze. In the madness that swept upon him, weariness and faintness were swept away. He spoke no word as he drove at her, fingers spread to grip her soft flesh. With a shriek of laughter, she leapt back and ran, laughing at him over her white shoulder. With a growl, Conan followed. He had forgotten the fight. Forgotten the mailed warriors who lay in their blood, forgotten the ord, and the reavers who had failed to reach the fight. He had thought only for the slender white shape which seemed to float rather than run before him. Out across the white blinding plain the chase led. The trampled red field fell out of sight behind him, but still Conan kept on with the silent tenacity of his race. His mailed feet broke through the frozen crust. He sank deep in the drifts and forged them by sheer strength. But the girl danced across the snow light as a feather, floating across a pool. Her naked feet barely left their imprint in the hoarfrost that overlaid the crust. In spite of the fire in his veins, the cold bit through the warrior's mail and fur-lined tunic. But the girl in her gossamer veil ran as lightly, as gaily as if she danced through the palm and rose gardens of Powtain. On she led, 
and Conan followed. Black curses drooled through the Sumerian's parched lips. The great veins in his temples swelled and throbbed, and his teeth gnashed. "'You cannot escape me,' he roared. "'Lead me into a trap, and I'll pile the heads of your kinsmen at your feet. "'Hide from me, and I'll tear apart the mountains to find you. "'I'll follow you to hell.' "'Her maddening laughter flaunted back to him, "'and the foam flew from the barbarian's lips. "'Further and further into the waste she led him. "'The land changed. "'The wide plains gave way to low hills, "'marching upward in broken ranges.' Far to the north he caught a glimpse of towering mountains, blue with the distance, or white with the eternal snow. Above those mountains shone the flaring rays of the Borealis. They spread fanwise into the sky, frosty blades of cold, flaming light, changing in color, growing and brightening. Above him the skies glowed and crackled with strange lights and gleams. The snow shone weirdly, now frosty blue, now icy crimson, now cold silver. Through a shimmering icy realm of enchantment, Conan plunged doggedly onward in a crystallized maze where the only reality was the white body dancing across the glittering snow beyond his reach, ever beyond his reach. He did not wonder at the strangeness of it all, not even when the two gigantic figures rose up to bar his way. The scales of their mail were white with hoarfrost, their helmets and their axes were covered with ice. Snow sprinkled their locks. In their beards were spikes of icicles. Their eyes were cold as the lights that streamed above them. Brothers, cried the girl, dancing between them. Look who follows. I have brought you a man to slay. Take his heart that we may lay it smoking on our father's board. The giants answered with roars, like the grinding of icebergs on a frozen shore, and heaved their shining axes as the maddened Sumerian hurled himself upon them. A frosty blade flashed before his eyes, blinding him with its brightness, and he gave back a terrible stroke that sheared through his foe's thigh. With a groan the victim fell, and at the instant Conan was dashed into the snow, with his left shoulder numb from the blow of the survivor, from which the Sumerian's mail had barely saved his life. Conan saw the remaining giant looming high above him, like a colossus carved of ice, etched against the cold, glowing sky. The axe fell to sink through the snow and deep into the frozen earth as Conan hurled himself aside and leapt to his feet. The giant roared and wrenched his axe free, but even as he did, Conan's sword sang down. The giant's knees bent and he sank slowly to the snow, which turned crimson from the blood that gushed from his half-severed neck. Conan wheeled to see the girl standing a short distance away, staring at him in wide-eyed horror, all the mockery gone from her face. He cried out fiercely, and the blood drops flew from his sword as his hand shook in the intensity of his passion. Call the rest of your brothers, he cried. I'll give their hearts to the wolves. You cannot escape me. With a cry of fright, she turned and ran fleetly. She did not laugh now, nor mock him over her white shoulder. She ran for her life, and though he strained every nerve and thew until his temples were like to burst and the snow swam red to his gaze, she drew away from him, dwindling in the witch fire of the skies until she was a figure no bigger than a child, then a dancing white flame on the snow, then a dim blur in the distance. But grinding his teeth until the blood started from his gums, he reeled on, 
and he saw the blur grow to a dancing white flame, and the flame to a figure as big as a child, and then she was running less than a hundred paces ahead of him, and slowly the space narrowed foot by foot. She was running with effort now, her golden locks blowing free. He heard the quick panting of her breath, and saw a flash of fear in the look she cast over her white shoulder. The grim endurance of the barbarian had served him well. The speed ebbed from her flashing white legs. She reeled in her gait. In his untamed soul leapt up the fires of hell she had fanned so well. With an inhuman roar he closed in on her, just as she wheeled with a haunting cry and flung at her arms to fend him off. His sword fell into the snow as he crushed her to him. Her lithe body bent backward as she fought with desperate frenzy in his iron arms. Her golden hair blew about his face, blinding him with its sheen. The feel of her slender body, twisting in his mailed arms, drove him to blinder madness. His strong fingers sank deep into her smooth flesh, and that flesh was cold as ice. It was as if he embraced not a woman of human flesh and blood, but a woman of flaming ice. She writhed her golden head aside, striving to avoid the fierce kisses that bruised her red lips. You are as cold as the snows, he mumbled dazedly. I will warm you with the fire in my blood. With a scream and a desperate wrench, she slipped from his arms, leaving her single gossamer garment in his grasp. She sprang back and faced him, her golden locks in wild disarray, her white bosom heaving, her beautiful eyes blazing with terror. For an instant, he stood frozen, awed by her terrible beauty as she posed naked against the snows. And in that instant she flung her arms toward the lights that glowed in the skies above her, and cried out in a voice that rang in Conan's ears forever after, Ymir, oh, my father, save me! Conan was leaping forward, arms spread to seize her, when with a crack like the breaking of an ice mountain, the whole sky leapt into icy fire. The girl's ivory body was suddenly enveloped in a cold blue flame, so blinding that the Sumerian threw up his hands to shield his eyes from the intolerable blaze. A fleeting instant, the skies and snowy hills were bathed in crackling white flames, blue darts of icy light and frozen crimson fires. Then Conan staggered and cried out. The girl was gone. The glowing snow lay empty and bare, High above his head the witch lights flashed and played in a frosty sky gone mad, and among the distant blue mountains there sounded a rolling thunder as of a gigantic war chariot rushing behind steeds, whose frantic hooves struck lightning from the snows and echoed from the skies. Then suddenly the borealis, the snow-clad hills, and blazing heavens reeled drunkenly to Conan's sight. Thousands of fireballs burst with showers of sparks and the sky itself became a titanic wheel which rained stars as it spun. Under his feet the snowy hills heaved up like a wave, and the Sumerian crumpled into the snows to lie motionless. In a cold, dark universe, whose sun was extinguished eons ago, Conan felt the movement of life, alien and unguessed. An earthquake had him in its grip, and was shaking him to and fro, at the same time chafing his hands and feet, until he yelled in pain and fury and groped for his sword. "'He's coming too, Horsa,' said a voice. "'Haste! We must rub the frost out of his limbs, if he's ever to wield a sword again.' 
He won't open his left hand, the other growled. He's clutching something. Conan opened his eyes and stared into the bearded faces that bent over him. He was surrounded by tall, golden-haired warriors in mail and furs. Conan, you live. By Krom, Njord, gasped the Sumerian. Am I alive, or are we all dead and in Valhalla? We live, grunted the Asir, busy over Conan's half-frozen feet. We had to fight our way through an ambush, or we would have come up with you before the battle was joined. The corpses were scarce cold when we came upon the field. We did not find you among the dead, so we followed your spore. In Ymir's name, Conan, why did you wander off into the wastes of the north? We have followed your tracks in the snow for hours. Had a blizzard come and hidden them, we would never have found you by Ymir. Swear not so often by Ymir, uneasily muttered a warrior, glancing at the distant mountains. This is his land, and the god bides among yonder mountains, the legends say. I saw a woman, Conan answered hazily. We met Braji's men in the plains. I know not how long we fought. I alone lived. I was dizzy and faint. The land lay like a dream before me. Only now do all things seem natural and familiar. The woman came and taunted me. She was beautiful as a frozen flame from hell. A strange madness fell upon me when I looked at her, so I forgot all else in the world. I followed her. Did you not find her tracks? Or the giants in icy mail I slew? Njord shook his head. We found only your tracks in the snow, Conan. Then it may be that I am mad, said Conan, dazedly. Yet you yourself are no more real to me than was the golden-locked witch who fled naked across the snows before me. Yet from under my hands she vanished in an icy flame. He's delirious, whispered a warrior. Not so, cried an older man, whose eyes were wild and weird. It was Atali, the daughter of Emir, the frost giant. To the fields of the dead she comes and shows herself to the dying. Myself, when a boy, I saw her, when I lay half slain on the bloody field of Woolraven. I saw her walk among the dead in the snows, her naked body gleaming like ivory, and her golden hair unbearably bright in the moonlight. I lay and howled like a dying dog, because I could not crawl after her. She lures men from stricken fields into the wastelands to be slain by her brothers, the ice giants, who lay men's red hearts smoking on Ymir's board. The Sumerian has seen Atali, the frost giant's daughter. Bah, grunted Horsa. Old Gorm's mind was touched in his youth by a sword cut on the head. Conan was delirious from the fury of battle. Look how his helmet is dented. Any of those blows would have addled his brain. It was an hallucination that he followed into the wastes. He is from the south. What does he know of Atali? You speak truth, perhaps, muttered Conan. It was all strange and weird. By Krom. He broke off, glaring at the object that still dangled from his clenched left fist. The others gaped silently at the veil he held up, a wisp of gossamer that was never spun by human distaff. End of Gods of the North by Robert E. Howard. Recorded by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. A Haunted House by Virginia Woolf 
Whatever hour you woke, there was a door shutting. From room to room they went hand in hand, lifting here, opening there, making sure. A ghostly couple. Here we left it, she said, and he added, Oh, but here too. It's upstairs, she murmured, and in the garden he whispered. Quietly, they said, or we shall wake them. But it wasn't that you woke us. Oh, no. They're looking for it. They're drawing the curtain, one might say, and so read on a page or two. Now they've found it. One would be certain, stopping the pencil on the margin. And then, tired of reading, one might rise and see for oneself the house all empty, the door standing open, only the wood pigeons bubbling with content, and the hum of the threshing machine sounding from the farm. What did I come in here for? What did I want to find? My hands were empty. Perhaps it's upstairs, then. The apples were in the loft, and so down again in the garden still as ever. Only the book had slipped into the grass. But they had found it in the drawing room. Not that one could ever see them. The window panes reflected apples, reflected roses. All the leaves were green in the glass. If they moved in the drawing room, the apple only turned its yellow side. Yet the moment after, if the door was opened, spread about the floor, hung upon the walls, pendant from the ceiling. What? My hands were empty. The shadow of a thrush crossed the carpet. From the deepest wells of silence, the wood pigeon drew its bubble of sound. Safe, safe, safe. The pulse of the house beat softly. The treasure buried the room. The pulse stopped short. Oh, was that the buried treasure? A moment later, the light had faded. Out in the garden, then. But the trees spun darkness for a wandering beam of sun so fine, so rare, so coolly sunk. Beneath the surface, the beam I sought always burning behind the glass. Death was the glass. Death was between us coming to the woman first, hundreds of years ago. Leaving the house, sealing all the windows. The rooms were darkened. He left it, left her, went north, went east, saw the stars turned in the southern sky, sought the house, found it dropped beneath the downs. Safe, safe, safe. The pulse of the house beat gladly, the treasure yours. The wind roars up the avenue, trees stoop and bend this way and that, Moonbeams splash and spill wildly in the rain. But the beam of the lamp falls straight from the window. The candle burns stiff and still, wandering through the house, opening the windows, whispering not to wake us. The ghostly couple seek their joy. Here we slept, she says, and he adds, kisses without number, waking in the morning, Silver between the trees upstairs in the garden. When summer came, in winter snow time. The doors go shutting far in the distance. Gently knocking like the pulse of a heart. 
nearer they come, cease at the doorway. The wind falls, the rain slides silver down the glass. Our eyes darken. We hear no steps beside us. We see no lady spread her ghostly cloak. His hands shield the lantern. Look, he breathes, sound asleep, love upon their lips. Stooping, holding their silver lamp above us, long they look, and deeply, long they pause. The wind drives straightly, the flame stoops slightly. Wild beams of moonlight cross both floor and wall, and, meeting, stain the faces bent, the faces pondering, the faces that search the sleepers and seek their hidden joy. Safe, 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 the heart of the house beats proudly. Long years, he sighs, again you found me. Here, she murmurs, sleeping in the garden reading, laughing, rolling apples in the loft. Here we left our treasure. Stooping, their light lifts the lids upon my eyes. Safe, safe, safe. Safe, 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 the pulse of the house beats wildly. Waking, I cry, oh, is this your buried treasure? The light in the heart. End of a Haunted House by Virginia Woolf. Recording by David Fetterman. Buddy, David, thank you both so much for reading today. Uh, greatly appreciate it. If you would like to volunteer, contact David Heath on Facebook. He'd be happy to talk to you. If you would like to request a story for a month that's coming up, let us know. And we'll see if we can do it. If you have something that you'd like us to read, let us know. And we'll see if we can do it. And if we can, we will. And if we can't, hey, it's just the way it goes sometimes. Thank you so much for listening. You are awesome. I hope if you are at home, you are staying clean, staying safe. I hope if you're out in the world, you're staying extra clean and extra safe. I myself commute back and forth, work uh, with food, and work around as few people as possible. So I'm out there going back and forth in Portland. So, you know, it's not on fire this week, which is nice, but hey, we'll talk to you later. See you soon. And uh, we've got another episode of the Radio Free Oleander coming up soon. And then the next episode will be... Uh, more spooky stories. We'll see you then, and I'll have Dave with me next time. So, yeah. Okay. See you then. Okay. Bye. Good night. Drive safe. Sleep well. I love you.